Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. Collaborators have confirmed that fractals are responsible for our sense of how we view beauty in nature. They experience this phenomenon over and over and over, how it calms people down, and they called me up and said, hey, can we put these in classrooms? The, the ceilings uh, are like an app in their functionality. They transform a classroom that adds an air of serenity. They're not a substitute for going outside, mind you. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... Nature is a source of all that is known. And making this seemingly simple connection provides students and teachers with the context for all subjects that are taught. Whether it's math, chemistry, physics, social studies, poetry, it all emanates from human beings engaging with and attempting to understand the natural world. Including the natural world in the pursuit of learning, whether indoors or out, it has the potential to positively influence the outcomes of teachers. The next time you're outside, pick up a leaf and look closely at it. Really try to get to know its every detail. From its rigid stem to its intricate network of veins. In the process, focus on being in the moment. Mindful, non-judgmental, present. Chances are you're feeling more grounded and focused. Retired teacher and school psychologist Ernesto Rodriguez has been helping students improve their focus through his work with Serene View and, more recently, Nature in the Classroom. He joined Ian to unpack attention restoration theory, the benefits of nature images on classroom ceilings, and an upcoming study with Dr. Richard Taylor from the University of Oregon. To put it lightly, attention spans are getting shorter these days. Educators know this as well as anyone, and a good way to get an educator's attention is by mentioning attention restoration theory. What is the working definition of this theory? Attention restoration theory was developed at the University of Michigan by Rachel and Stephen Kaplan in the 1980s. Wow. Yeah, it's been around for a while. Yeah. Their seminal book is The Experience of Nature, A Psychological Perspective, which asserts that when we view trees and foliage, it calms us, helps us focus, and engage. Mm. And this phenomenon happens whether we're looking at a real tree or we're looking at a photograph of a tree. There's 40 years of peer-reviewed research that has verified this theory over and over again. And the trend lately is for mental health professionals to recommend spending time in green spaces. Forest bathing, for example, after years of careful study, has found that spending time in a forest can reduce stress, 
anxiety, depression, and anger. Yes. It can strengthen the immune system, improve cardiovascular and metabolic health, and boost overall well-being. The science also shows that just an hour spent walking in nature improves attention span and memory by 20%. So this is all in the context of E.O. Wilson's biophilia hypothesis that says it is our innate nature, our human instinct to connect with nature and all other living things. We are nature. And I had a personal experience about 10 years ago that speaks to this. And we were doing a photo shoot for the Veterans Administration, spent six weeks in the National Park here in the U.S. in three parks. And after day 10 in the wilderness, uh, we came back to camp that night. And it happened to my my friend that was helping me and I at the same time. And he knew what I was going to ask him. I said, Mark, what just happened today? He goes, well, he goes, the only way I can express this is that we don't feel like we're separate from nature. It's like our sense of body and hands and self just seemed like it was at one with our surroundings. It's like it didn't stop. Our sense of selves didn't stop where our bodies did. And, and that's the only way I can. There aren't words that can explain it, really. But after that happened, it's the animals completely, they reacted completely different to us. Really? What had happened was there had been somebody that had been attacked by a bear in Yellowstone. So we were, you know, a little, say, carried a little fear with us. Yeah. And after that happened, the fear was gone. And the animals that we saw after that, like a herd of elk, moose, bear, they didn't care that we were there. But we were able to walk right through a herd of elk and people go, no, you couldn't do that. And I said, well, I've got pictures of elk that are like three feet from me. <laughs> In addition to walking by moose and uh, uh, Mark was laying down as I was photographing the stream and waiting for the light to be just right. He laid down to, to take a little snooze. This bear came up and sniffed him and kind of walked on. So there was this feeling of you're part of this whole vastness of the forest. And, and we didn't feel that we were separate from it. That really is remarkable. And I guess I should interject that generally speaking, having a bear sniff you isn't recommended, but certainly you were in a unique situation and perhaps in a an unique plane of reality at that time. Yeah, yeah, it was it was certainly I mean, I, he was off in the distance. so I didn't see this happen. But uh, hmm. yeah, I mean, you want to certainly keep your distance when possible. But, you know, we saw quite a few bears after that. And they just kind of cruised by then. then you know, huh. didn't care that we were there. I mean, so so part of it is is, is an aesthetic sense of viewing the environment, uh, attention restoration theory, but it's also a survival mechanism. Is is analyzing the the patterns that are in front of you, and if there's any disruption to that pattern, then you're going to pay attention to that. So, in addition to calming you and appreciating what the environment looks like. And you focus a lot on patterns in your work with the nonprofit Nature in the Classroom, and a lot of those patterns are fractals that you see in plants, particularly trees. And that's your means of assisting learners with attention restoration. What are the specifics of it? What's the nitty-gritty of the work that you do? So here's the context for this. 
Research shows that greening schoolyards in classroom views to trees has been documented to boost academic achievement, creativity, and social emotional learning. Outdoor experiences are essential for the healthy development of, of children, but students and faculty spend 85 to 90% of their day indoors. Hmm. Urban and inner city schools, playgrounds are mainly asphalt, and windows are often barred, covered, or simply have a view to another wall. So due to the increased violence in the last 20 years, new schools are being built without classroom windows to the outside. The windows are at the very top of the light and you can't look outside. So overcrowded schools, the way they deal with uh, the overcrowding is they bring in portable classrooms, which at this point accommodate about 9 million students here in the U.S. And window views are often looking at another portable classroom. Yeah. So greening the classroom helps children concentrate and gives teachers more time to teach. In addition to stimulating curiosity and creativity, what we've gotten anecdotally from teachers that have the, the, our ceilings is that it gives them about an extra 10 minutes a day of on-task time and focus. That's an extra 30 hours of instruction per year. Wow. So the, the essence of viewing greenery has been distilled down to the very basic patterns, as you were saying, that exist. And this pattern in, in nature is called fractals. And fractals basically define the natural environment. And what a fractal is, is an infinite pattern in nature that repeats at different scales. For example, if you think of a leaf, and then you think of a cluster of leaves, and you think of a cluster of leaves that make up a branch of a tree, and then a bunch of branches that make up the tree, and then you have a group of trees, and then you have a grove of trees, and then you have a forest. It's the same pattern that scales at these various sizes. And, and the unique thing about the, the synchronistic nature of it is that the pattern is both random and unified, mm -hmm. which you think wouldn't are opposites, but it's not when it comes to fractals. Yeah, it really is just one of these miracles of nature that we probably take for granted. So you mainly install imagery, largely of trees, on the ceiling tiles of classrooms. How many installations have you done? Uh, to date, we have done 22 installations covering five school districts here in California and in Colorado. And the ceilings are photographed uh, with a composite of 41 high-resolution images. And these images are, are then stitched together with special software that forms the ceiling. So you get this incredibly uh, super sharp, lifelike image uh, that feels like you're standing under a tree. Mm -hmm. We, we photograph the tree uh, canopy itself. So the installations roughly take about an hour to do a 12-foot by 12-foot ceiling essentially replace the existing ceiling tiles where uh, typically there are vents in the ceiling and other things that need to be dealt with. So some of the tiles need to be cut. Sure. But it's interesting because the eye will will fill in those areas. So it doesn't matter that you've got inner space things like there's an air vent or there's some kind of device that uh, needs to be in the ceiling. So that doesn't seem to matter to the eye. The eye still takes it in and processes and it calms kids down. So it does require a drop ceiling, as I was saying. And, and uh, the tiles are made from 
recycled plastic. And the question that always comes up is, well, does it meet a, the fire rating? And it, they have a class one or class A fire rating printed with non-toxic inks. Excellent. And uh, it's exciting. We're getting ready to do a big project with uh, LA Unified in East LA this coming fall. I look forward to hearing more about that. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. Zooming out and with the leaf still in your hand, look up to the branch where the leaf was previously attached. Notice the arrangement of the tiny leaf-bearing twigs. So you've recently teamed up with Dr. Richard Taylor from the University of Oregon to document the impact of tree ceilings on classrooms. Just before we started recording, you were telling me how excited you are by this and the opportunities that this will open up. But if we take a step back, what has Dr. Taylor specifically found in his research? Interesting question. And, and Dr. Taylor is just a, a, just a wealth of giving information. He's a very giving person. But surveying the landscape or fractals is, as I was saying before, is part survival as well as how we perceive the aesthetics. And over the past two decades, uh, his experiments performed with his collaborators have confirmed that fractals are responsible for our sense of how we view beauty in nature. So this hypothesis was inspired by the prevalence of fractal objects in nature. And he's been able to replicate that pattern geometrically. So common examples from our daily lives include clouds, trees, mountains, coastlines. These are all phenomena in nature that are defined by the fractals. Mm -hmm. Further emphasizing their visual impact, fractals have also permeated the artistic expression of cultures spanning centuries. They are currently, and this is really interesting, currently developing bio-inspired electronics for bionic eyes that feature the same fractal shapes as the neurons that they inter interface with to restore sight for people with retinal diseases. And his, his team, they've also developed carpeting and wallpaper window treatments featuring fractal patterns uh, for use in office buildings that will promote a relaxing environment. Is the key, I guess, a detail about fractals that they provide order in an otherwise wildly complex world? I mean, is that sort of the essence of why we get this calming sensation from them? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, it's, it's what we're wired to look at. I mean, we, we are instinctively set up to interpret the natural environment. They, they, they've uh, done studies where they've shown people pictures of nature versus urban environments and had people wired up to their, their brains wired up to see how long it would take them to, to assess what they were looking at. And it takes the brain less time to assess a natural environment than a familiar urban environment. And it's the difference between fractals and pure parallel lines. Mm -hmm. 
So Dennis Dutton, an American philosopher, summed up uh, Dr. Taylor's work in a book that he wrote in 2008. It's called The Art Instinct. And we're basically, he asserts that we are basically hardwired to view beauty and the universality of natural beauty landscapes. There's an attraction to landscapes that have an elevated view with a path down to trees and water. And what he found was that it doesn't matter what culture you're in, everybody has a connection and affinity to this kind of view, even with cultures that don't have that in their environment. That's fascinating. He's, he did this really interesting TED talk called The Darwinian Theory of Beauty. I, I recommend it highly. Yeah. So the studies show that we can more quickly assess fractals. You know, uh, it's just what we're wired to look at. And it's what paved the way for Roger Ulrich in the 1970s to do his, his uh, incredible research, where he found that exposure to nature scenery induced positive changes in people, including significant stress reduction. So he went to a hospital and patients that had views out windows to greener, he found that they had a lower blood pressure, they needed less pain medication, and they got out of hospital sooner by half a day. So he decided to show them photographs of me and found out that lo and behold, it had the same effect. It calmed people down and they got out of the hospital sooner and people were just, you know, felt better overall. In 2002, I started a company called Serene View, where we put nature vistas on the pa on a curtain that goes around a patient bed. So if you're laying in a hospital room, you could be at the beach or you could be in a forest by a stream or just about anywhere in nature. And curtains are installed in over 3,500 hospitals now in Europe, Australia, and here in the U.S. And they're just about ready to go into Canada. Oh, nice. So I feel proud to say that, I mean, these, these curtains have literally helped millions of people over these last 20 years. A couple of anecdotes. The head of the emergency room in Denver called me to say, he goes, I tell you, she says, people that run the ambulances, that work the ambulances, the, the uh, EMT workers hmm. come in and they deliver a patient and she says, they'll find an empty room and they'll open up the curtain and they'll sit there for five and 10 minutes and just chill out looking at the scene and leave. So it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. But uh, the, the most heartwarming story I, I want to share is this young woman. Her name is Asia. And we met Asia when she was about 20. And Asia, when her mother, when she was pregnant with her, had scarlet fever. And Asia was born and she spent her first two years in an incubator. And they didn't think she was going to live beyond two years. Well, here it is. You know, we met her when she was about 20. And how we came across her was... The dad brings her into this emergency room because she's having this emotional outburst and she was pretty upset. And Asia is, she's blind in one eye and, you know, sees a little bit out of her, her other eye and she communicates with grunts and noises, but she's really perceptive. Mm. So the father brings her into the ER because she's having this emotional outburst and they put her in a room and they open up the curtain and it calmed her instantly. 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 Like a light switch. Wow. 
And the father went, whoa, what's going on here? And so he he he, he put two and two together because, you know, it's when he opened up and she looked at the scene. So he gets our uh, company information off the tag that's on the curtain, calls us and say, hey, can I have one of these things in my house? And we went, sure, why not? So my partner, Lauren, is going to deliver the curtain. And, and Asia knows it, that he is coming with the curtain. So when he rings the doorbell, she rips the door open, rips the curtain out of his hand. <laughs> and she is dancing around it. She actually unfolded it and covered herself with it, dancing around the room, snorting and making these noises. The video we have of that is really just touching. And and he gets a new curtain for every you know six six seven months. We donated curtains to her school, and it, you know it really helps these kids uh, settle down and and uh, you know live a normal day. That really brings it to life. I mean, yeah. And this is not a one off. I mean, this is a common experience. Just not the specifics of that particular story necessarily, but the idea of helping people calm down is certainly not a one off. Right. Right, right. It, it's it's uh, we we did a, a hospital in New York, and uh, the chief of staff called me. He goes, uh, and he he was this guy was funny because he was really typical New Yorker, and he calls. He goes, I'm, he goes, I'm calling with a complaint. He goes, I've been here thirty years in this intensive care unit. He goes, I have never heard a peep. He goes, I'm hearing people laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he he called to thank us. But it was funny. Yeah. But yes, it, this is not a one-off thing. Like I said, we're, we're in over 500 hospitals and it's consistent. The reactions are consistent. Wow, that's wonderful. Hey, it's Ian. I'm just letting you know that a subscription to Green Teacher also includes access to our massive and fast-growing archive of 500-plus ready-to-use activities, lesson plans, and articles. The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive, too and there are 125 of those and counting. To save you time, everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com slash subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. Zooming out even further, shift your gaze to the arrangement of the branches. Pay especially close attention to where each branch attaches to the trunk. So if I'm an educator and I have one of these images on my ceiling in my classroom, how could I incorporate it into a lesson? Well, the character of a student's learning environment plays a key role in learning and behavioral outcomes. Yes. Bringing nature into the classroom sends a strong message that the natural world is not separate from the pursuit of knowledge. Nature is a source of all that is known. And making this seemingly simple connection provides students and teachers with the context for all subjects that are taught, whether it's math, chemistry, physics, social studies, poetry, it all emanates from human beings engaging with and attempting to understand the natural world, including the natural world in the pursuit of learning, whether indoors or out, it has the potential to positively influence the outcomes that teachers seek. On our site, there are environmental education resources for teachers that include 
include indoor and outdoor activities, mindfulness exercises, games and curriculums for all ages. And I add that Green Teacher is one of those links. Yeah. Yeah. So the ceilings serve to reinforce and remind students of the lessons taught. Teachers have to hold, have told me that they're incorporating the ceilings with environmental education. Here on, on Catalina Island with the uh, Catalina Conservancy, they do activities from kindergarten through to 12th grade. And with the little kids, they, they use the ceilings with the activities and they, they start getting the kids outdoors um, by fourth grade. So it's, it's something that can be incorporated into uh, an activity that you do in the classroom because it, it'll reinforce mainly what we wanted to do is reinforce environmental education and foster stewardship. And we hear kindergartners saying things like, you know, it makes me want to help nature wow. and nature, by the way, we've been dispelling it all this time. Uh, it, it's uh, the way kindergartners spell it. Not just one, mo- most of them do. They spell it N-A-C-H-U-R-E. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I have seen that. <laughs> so the, the one thing that we know is that the earlier children connect to the environment, the greater the chances are that they will develop a sense of environmental stewardship. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's consistent. And that's just the the research bears that out. It's been written about so much and it's been shown so much. Yes. In terms of behavior management, I mean, there's calming students down. Have you ever heard feedback from educators that have said having these ceiling images has really helped with this behavioral issue or that behavioral issue? Oh boy, when we started this project, Ian, it was it was before the pandemic, and then the pandemic hit, and it shut us down for a while. But then some people wanted. We got connected via an organization called Tree People. We got connected to, to the school and teachers that were versed in this theory and wanted the ceilings right away because of the pandemic and the problems they were seeing. So the pandemic has put a spotlight on mental health issues. Before the pandemic, teachers were having to deal with one out of 20 students roughly with mental health issues. Yeah. The pandemic has brought that to one out of five students with the same amount of, of mental health professionals to help the teachers. So, I mean, there's there's this tremendous shortage of mental health professionals to go around, given the, the, the number of kids that need help. And this isn't going anytime soon. Nope. Well, even though the pandemic has decided, I mean, it, it has scarred kids to the to the point where it's they're still seeing issues with it. So one of the things schools have done is they've created these wellness rooms. And a wellness room is a place where you can just go and chill out. And they're staffed with, you know, somebody that's going to help them, whether they want to read a book or they want to listen to music or they want to sit in a beanbag and just, you know, do nothing or play ping pong. So we put this ceiling in this wellness room. This was last, last January. And they hadn't finished the room yet. But, you know, they it's it, they were still waiting for all the furniture and everything else. But we put the ceiling in because we had the time to, to do it at that moment. And the day after we put the ceiling in, vice principal calls to tell me, she goes, I don't even know how to explain this, she says. But this fifth grader had this emotional just meltdown. And they brought her into the wellness room. And the same thing that happened with Asia it calmed this fifth grader like a light switch. It's just instant. And they went, whoa. (laughs) 
So over the next three months, they experienced this phenomenon over and over and over how it calms people down. And they called me up and said, hey, can we put these in classrooms? So she said, we've got enough money to do uh, classrooms where if kids rotate through the day, they'll be at least in one or two uh, rooms that have the ceilings. Nice. And the, the teachers have just been incredibly thankful, as well as the kids. And, 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 and you know, uh, middle school kids, they're, they're pretty perceptive. Oh, they absolutely are. Yeah. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. Now, look at the tree in its entirety. How does it compare to other similar trees around it? Do you notice any patterns in the forest? You've already shared some wonderful anecdotes. And when we first spoke, you shared a wonderful anecdote about a young lady in kindergarten. And I don't want to give away the punchline, so I will hand the reins over to you. <laughs> Kindergartners are the best. Yeah, they'll say anything. <laughs> They're unfiltered little comedians and, and uh, critics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be a double-edged uh, situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 but you know, that is, it's, that's the biggest reward in doing what we're doing. Uh, now I'm, I'm a retired psychologist and, and my background is in early childhood. And so it's, it's kind of fun being back in the classroom and, and hearing the stories from teachers and administrators of how this is helping them. For example, the, the, the principal engaged middle school, and this is in East LA. Now the, the Hispanic community was really devastated by, by the pandemic. Mm. So they, had more than their fair share of issues to deal with in the classroom. And the principal shared with me that at the height of the pandemic, it's what helped kids manage anxiety. And the tiles, the ceilings were the difference in getting through the pandemic. So as I was saying, middle schoolers are, are, are pretty perceptive. And, and, you know, when you ask them, you know, what they like about having the trees in the classroom, they, you know, they come back with things like the trees are so beautiful and peaceful. Or it feels like we're outside, which is really nice. I think it lines up the room more and makes it seem airier. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty sophisticated response when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I like sitting under the trees. I, I really like the sunshine peeking through. And mo most of the images I try to do, I, I want the sun coming through the leaves. So, so that's that added, that added uh, sense of you're outside. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. You know, kids are saying it's the trees are the reason they like coming to school. But the best one, though, is, is what you alluded to at the very beginning from a kindergartner. And I had gone to Colorado to uh, visit the schools that we put the trees in. I go into this kindergarten room and, of course, <laughs> they're funny. And I, I sat down on the floor with them. And when I did that, it's like I'm on their level. Yeah, you're on their team. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to deal with you like you're one of us. <laughs> So I, this uh, young woman, the young lady is sitting in front of me and I, I asked her, I said, well, I said well, what do you like about having a tree in your, in your ceiling? And she was sitting at her calves <laughs> and she straightens up and she flips her hair back and she looks at me and she goes, it calms me up. <laughs> it calms me up. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's probably the most most wonderful moment uh, I've experienced so far with this. It's almost a very sophisticated way to talk about being calmed by a tree because a tree exists in the vertical. They're tall. A tree calms you up. It doesn't necessarily calm you down. It gives you maybe that extra bit of air underneath your feet. That extra bit of energy makes you sit up a bit straighter. I mean, it, it actually works. It calms me up. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're right on. Yeah. That's absolutely right on. <laughs> so what are the next steps for Nature in the Classroom? I know you've got other installations coming. Anything else in addition to further installations? Well, what, what's exciting is the study that we're getting ready to do with partnering with the University of Oregon and Dr. Richard Taylor. Yeah. And it's the same study that uh, Ulrich did in healthcare by showing pictures of, of nature to patients, bringing it into the indoor space of healthcare. We're going to be doing the same thing except with education. Yeah, All the research exists of looking out windows, looking at trees is good for kids. It has all the benefits that, that have been outlined, but no one has looked at it. What happens if you don't have windows to the outside, but you have green up a room with a, a mural of a tree? So we're getting ready to do that this fall, and that will green light this concept for wider use in schools. Uh, and I mean, we've already seen it time and again with kids saying it, it calms them down. So, but we, we need a actual documentation by a university to go through a rigorous study to, you know, portray what the impact is. Of course. Any final advice for educators out there? Well, the, the ceilings uh, are like an app in their functionality. They transform a classroom that adds an air of serenity. They're not a substitute for going outside, mind you, but it's ways to remind kids to get outdoors, doing activities to connect with the environment, you know, things like gardening. So the ultimate goal is get outside and play. <laughs> You're here. Well, thanks so much, Ernie. That research is so fascinating and certainly something to dig further into. And may we all decorate our indoor environments with images from the outdoor environment. Thank you so much for having me. Finally, return your gaze to the leaf in your hand. Do you see it any differently now that you've taken your mind on a visual tour of the forest at its many different scales? More often than not, there's something inexplicably satisfying about experiencing a forest like this. 
and we haven't even talked about the root system yet. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. One of the guys asked me, he goes, well, do you have any research that looking at trees harms the brain? And I'm harms thinking, the brain? Harm, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I, I, he caught me completely off guard. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, there's, with anything new,